Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We have a different guest every week, and we just sit down and have a conversation together about different apostolates, about why people converted to the Catholic Church. We talk about architecture. We talk about music. We talk about literature. We're talking about many different aspects of the fullness of the Catholic faith. Today, my guest is Jennifer Fitz. She is a catechist, and she is based in Columbia, South Carolina. We're going to be talking about sharing the faith with the next generation, some of the problems, some of the joys, some of the difficulties, and some of the triumphs of sharing faith with children. Welcome to More Christianity, Jen. Thank you. Uh, Jennifer, we were talking earlier, and you explained how you're not exactly a convert, but a revert to the faith. And that term revert usually means that Someone was brought up in the Catholic faith, and either they drifted away or they became lapsed, or maybe they never really got it in the first place down in their heart. Which one of those is you, or is it all of them? Yeah, a little mix there. I uh, was raised a little bit Catholic. We went Christmas and Easter, usually very reliably Palm Sunday and Easter, and those were supposed to be the services that we were going to start going to church every Sunday, but we never made it quite to that Sunday after Easter. And then we try again at Christmas, try again at Palm Sunday. And when I was in high school, my family moved to South Carolina, and my mother was very sneaky. She said to my father, we're moving to the small town in the south, and we have to go to church because it's expected (laughs) of you. And that's how she got us going back. Because everybody in South Carolina goes to church, right? That's that's what she said. (laughs) And uh, and at the time, I I was furious at her for, for such a hypocritical thing, and she said, you know, Jennifer, that's the only way I could convince your father to go to church. And, and it worked. It worked. And he is, to this day, a faithful practicing Catholic. What age were you when that happened, Jen? I was 14, 15 when I moved to South Carolina. So did you sort of get the faith then and, and keep it? Or over college age years, did you sort of depart from the faith again? Well, or? you know, that's the story. You know, we were going every Sunday. I became very active in my youth ministry, one Catholic student of the year my senior year. And then I turned around and went to college up at uh, the university. And within six months, I had left the church. Mm -hmm. And it was all the things that happen when you go to college, where your faith is just attacked in so many ways. And what it came down to is that I really didn't have a very strong foundation in why we believe what we did. And so there there was no answer to all the antagonism against the faith. And you get into all the lifestyle issues that happen in college that we don't need to go into, but that happen. And so I uh, gradually drifted away from the church, and by the time I was married, we did not get married in a church. And I, you know, I knew that I could pull strings with mom and dad and get the beautiful church wedding, but I didn't want to do that because I knew that this wasn't something I believed. So we were married outside the church, and over time, over the next couple years, I just began to feel this emptiness that you feel when you're living without God. The sort of the turning point in my conversion is my husband had a uh, business trip to San Antonio. And so I went down with him, and I toured all the historic mission churches down there. And I walked into a historic church that was an, uh, an ongoing active parish. And I stepped inside, and I could not feel the presence of God. Hmm. And I knew that that was wrong. It had been, to that day, 100% reliable. If you walk into a Catholic church, you feel the presence of God, and it wasn't there. And I thought, whoa, I've really done something wrong here. And so I began to pray, 
and ask God to, to help me here and know what to do. And, and that began a, a slow turnaround. We began looking at churches. Interestingly, my husband and I ended up at a non-denominational uh, evangelical church. I was evangelized by a number of Protestant friends, including a, uh, a couple of very active Baptists. And right at about 1998-1999, I had a very strong conversion experience at the hands of a Baptist deacon, said the sinner's prayer, everything textbook, but you know the presence of the Holy Spirit was so palpable. And at that very moment of conversion, that would be the, the classic evangelical moment of conversion, as soon as I had done it, I felt this overwhelming urge to go to Mass. Mm-hmm. So I went back to my office, because we, we were at work, and, and opened the Yellow Pages, because I still had the Yellow Pages then, and uh, <laughs> looked up the Masses, and, and the first Mass I could get to was the next morning at 8 o'clock. So drove downtown, was late for work, but I was like, I'm going to go to this Mass. And, and I knew I was looking for a priest to hear my confession, and I wanted a good one. And the priest who happened to be saying Mass at, at the parish she was visiting, and, you know, substituting for somebody was Father uh, Jim LeBlanc. You know, I knew this is the guy I need to go hear my confession. I just heard him preach, knew this is the guy. So I went and joined his parish, and, and from then on, I was in. I was Catholic. And I mention his name because he's just an example of a guy who preaches the fullness of the Catholic faith. Yes. And just brought me all the way in right from the start. He, he's gentle, he's compassionate, he's very charitable, very gracious, but he doesn't mince words. He doesn't play around. You know, Jennifer, that is, is fascinating because you talk about um, Father LeBlanc mm-hmm. bringing you into the fullness of the Catholic faith, and yet, like so many of us, by the Lord's good providence, the evangelical experience was part of that fullness. In other words, oh, you, you went and found Jesus in a way that for some reason you were not able to find him in the Catholic experience, and then you come back to the Catholic Church bringing that personal experience, that personal encounter with Christ with you. Now, what interests me about this when it comes to catechesis is how do we bring people to this encounter with Christ, which is so life-changing and which is so real and so vital? There you were sharing your experience of living without God. You said there was a kind of great loneliness. There was a Mm -hmm. feeling like you were going on this journey without the companion that you were supposed to be with. I know exactly what that feels like and how often we take for granted the the presence of our Lord and the the presence of, of the Holy Spirit with us. So this is the question that we have in catechesis time and again. How do we get our young people, our children, how do we get our adults also in the Catholic Church to come yet again face-to-face with the Lord and to have this encounter with Christ? I want to talk about that further in a moment, but I want to remind our listeners that you can be in touch with me through my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Go there, uh, drop me a note, browse my books. You can also sign up for my free weekly newsletter, which is called Faith Works, and you can be in touch there to uh, learn more about more Christianity and the work that we're doing to spread the faith and evangelize. Jen, you were Mm -hmm. talking about this personal experience. When it comes to catechesis, how do you try to get this across to the children that you're working with in the Catholic Church, that it's not all just about being nice and kind and being a good person, and neither is it all just about memorizing all of these facts about the Catholic faith and then saying you believe them. There's a middle way there, which is this encounter with Christ, which makes it all real. How do you at least bring people to that to that point? Well, you have to have it yourself. You can't give what you don't have. And I think uh, my time in the evangelical world, as you said, was fundamental to me in learning about evangelization, about saying the name of Jesus openly, uh, which many people in the Catholic world are uncomfortable doing, talking about your faith, praying. When I pray in class, 
I try to do a combination of some very formal traditional prayers, but also do a little bit, just a short amount of free-form prayer, mm-hmm. you know, showing that God is someone I can talk to personally. And, you know, that's not going to be the entirety of your prayer life, but that personal relationship, I think, is expressed, and I think anybody who gets to and hear that kind of prayer, learns to have that conversation with God. Very interesting point of actually using prayer, that the prayers that we use help to make this real. So when we read a prayer out of a book, the advantage of that is that it ties us in with the liturgy of the church, it ties us yes. in with older words, better words than we have ourselves, and it links oh, our experience with a, a deeper, richer experience of liturgy. But on the other hand, when we say just an informal prayer to the Lord, even with halting words and words that are stumbling, there's a kind of immediacy and personal reality to that, which is also good. Okay, that's great. So in, in and, cate- and I think you need both, absolutely. You can't pit the two against each other. You think of your own prayer life, right? Right. It consists of both, I'm sure. So this is good for Catholics in our homes with our children mm-hmm. and also yeah. in catechesis in Catholic schools. To be able to have the confidence to use prayers out of a book from the great tradition, but also to Mm -hmm. say, let's just talk to the Lord now for a few minutes and have an open time of prayer, which can be informal. That's a wonderful insight. What are some other ways that you have of of bringing this personal reality into your catechesis? My husband, when I started teaching, he had not yet returned to the Catholic faith. He was still evangelical. And I had started volunteering because, you know, I sent my, my children to the parish religious education program. And his agreement was, I'll put up with this, I will be supportive and deal with the missed dinner and the crazy housework and everything, if you'll preach the gospel. And I expect you to be preaching the gospel every week. And that is something that you can do in just a a few lines. You know, why are we here? We're here because Jesus came and opened up heaven for us. And you just come back to that every class. This is the reason that we're here. This is why what we're learning today in our class is important. This is how what we're learning in our class today relates to the overall picture of your faith. And you just keep putting the gospel forward and putting the gospel forward, and you have to believe it. I frequently see people floundering on the question of suffering, on the question of evil, and how do I teach this to children? Well, if you don't believe in eternal life, it's very difficult to teach. You have to believe in eternal life. You have to believe in the reality of the Catholic faith, or you're always going to end up with something short of a Catholic faith. Jennifer Fitz is a catechist working in Columbia, South Carolina. She's got a wonderful story of being brought up as a Catholic, going to Protestant churches and meeting the Lord Jesus in an evangelical way and then coming back again. Uh, She's my guest today here on More Christianity. And Jennifer, do you think that if you had had this kind of catechesis as a child in your Catholic church, that it would have been more difficult for you to have left the faith in your college years? I can't say for certain because we have free will and young people do stupid things. So I I can't say that I would have stuck to my faith. And I can think of some very specific points in my catechesis in my senior year where the faith was soft-pedaled and it ended up being the point on which I left the church. In my case, I think maybe the instructor didn't really believe the moral teaching that was, was being presented that day. I also know many people who do, in fact, subscribe to the fullness of the Catholic faith and yet are afraid to teach anything that might be hurtful or offensive or upset the children. I see a lot of fear around moral teaching, around the tough moral issues of chastity and hard topics for teens where you just want to brush it aside. And I think that ends up being the Achilles heel, that later the student gets faced with all these arguments and has nothing to draw on. 
Jen, you know, I was brought up as an evangelical fundamentalist, and mm-hmm. uh, I kept my faith right through college years and, and then graduate school. And um, I had to laugh one time with one of my books. The, <laughs> the copywriter on the back cover said, Dwight Longenecker used to be an agnostic, and then he became a Catholic. And I'm saying, no, I was never an agnostic. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was an Anglican, but that's not an agnostic. At agnostic, least, right. It, at least it shouldn't be. And um, right. one of the things which helped me to keep my faith, looking back on it, was not only did my parents believe their Christian faith, but they lived it. They were consistent. Yeah. They weren't perfect, but they were consistent. That is, when right. they messed up, they apologized. They were genuine. It meant everything to them. It was the cornerstone of their life. And therefore, it became the worldview that I had from my parents, that this was true, this was believable, this was livable. The second yeah. thing about that was the particular kind of evangelicalism I was brought up in, we saw ourselves as separate from the world. We were a people who were called and set apart. The bad side of it is sometimes we were self-righteous, but the good side of it was that one of the basic assumptions was that we are the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're in the midst of a darkened and a sinful world, and we will expect opposition. We will expect it to be difficult. We will expect to be misunderstood. And that was kind of like part of the worldview, that to be a Christian was to walk a different path. To be a Christian Mm -hmm. was to be set in opposition to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is also part of the Catholic faith, of course, but too many of us have forgotten it. And too many Catholics in America have got just a little bit too easy with living in the world and being of the world and with the world. And I think this is one of the reasons why when our kids go off to college, they're hit over the head by what true worldliness is in opposition to the Catholic faith, and they crumble because they weren't prepared from the start to realize that to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be in opposition to the world. Do you agree that this viewpoint needs to be communicated as part of our catechesis? Oh, sure, absolutely. And and like you say, the, the living it out, because this has to be what you're living for. Is if you're not living for God and only for God, you are going to teach something less than the Catholic faith. The problem with this, you see, is that if we're not careful, we, we can be perceived and end up like some of those angry fundamentalists. I'm thinking of Westboro Baptist people and the others who their whole presentation is one of anger and negativity and fear. And we, right. we can't go down that route either. We have to be careful to maintain that Catholicism is the fullness of the Christian faith, and that means that it's joyful, that it's active, it's dynamic, it's full of life. Absolutely, and I think one of the dangers within the Catholic faith is there's so many different charisms that bring so much, and it's very easy to dismiss somebody who has a very extreme calling within their own spirituality you know, gospel poverty-oriented Franciscan, well, that's not somebody to be looked down upon. That's somebody to say, hey, look at the way they're living out the faith according to their calling, and find that balance, not dismissing them as crazy, not saying everybody has that exact same charism, and also not saying, okay, well, my charism is to spend all day in the hot tub and drink champagne. Well, no, that's not your charism. You get what I'm saying, that sort of balance? Yes. um, And recognizing the diversity of ways in which you, you live completely for God. When you keep a sense of humor about that, that helps a lot. A sense of humor, a sense of humility, a mm-hmm. sense of service for others. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, and my guest today is Jennifer Fitz. She's a catechist from Columbia, South Carolina, a revert to the faith. She's also a, a blogger at Pathios. 
and the author of the book Classroom Management for Catechists. Jennifer, the title of the book is a little bit daunting, if you don't mind me saying so. It, it seems like it should be sitting on the business self-help shelves, classroom, <laughs> classroom management for catechists. In fact, it's a very friendly and a very warm book, which gives a lot of practical advice for catechists. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to write the book, some of the hints that are in there? Well, you know, the subtitle that I had thrown out and the publisher decided not to run with was, How Do I Get These Kids to Behave? Uh, when I okay. when I first began teaching as a catechist, I was blown away. And now I had taught before. I have always loved teaching in everything I had done, whether it was work or volunteer things. I always ended up in some kind of teaching capacity. I had taught adults. I had taught teenagers. I homeschooled my own children. I had no reason to believe that I could not teach religious ed. I walked into the classroom with me and another uh, catechist who had only taught tame children, and we had a classroom full of jaded, world-wise, delightful, wonderful, but extremely intelligent fifth graders. And they knew how to play the green teacher. And we were very relaxed people, too relaxed. And we really didn't understand how to create a friendly environment without creating a crazy environment. But it took probably three or four months for us to get just the basics of how to run a classroom. And, and how to find that balance uh, where, where the students are actively participating, but they're not running the class for you, where there's uh, comfort and respect and, and joy, but you're not out of control. And what it came down to is that classroom management is a set of skills you can learn, and there are specific things that you do that make it possible to run a classroom, and, and it's a social setting that's unlike other social settings. And so I had to kind of learn it the hard way, and then I went to look for something I could hand on to other catechists that would be suitable because I had had to go to professional teachers and to books for professional teachers and learn it as if I were going through teaching school. And I thought, you know, I, I need something quick that I can hand people. And I couldn't find anything. And I knew that this was a topic that people were always asking for. They're asking for it, the catechist formation stuff. And so I said, well, I'll write up a quick little booklet that my DRE can kind of photocopy and hand around to people and it turned into a book, and I've been very grateful, and I think it's, uh, it's been well-received because good classroom management always involves good teaching, and in the case of catechesis, it involves proclaiming the gospel, and, and so the book covers much more than just, you know, make them stand in line or take time out or whatever. It kind of goes into the fullness of teaching. Good. So if you're a catechist out there listening and you have a classroom full of kids and, and they're running riot and, and uh, you're just wondering what to do next and you're about to quit <laughs> because of frustration, <laughs> yeah. Get, yeah, get hold of Jennifer's book. It's called Classroom Management for Catechists. It's published by Ligori Press. It's been well-received. It's a practical book. It's a down-to-earth. It's a warm and, and welcoming book. So go ahead and get that for your instruction, Classroom Management for Catechists by Jennifer Fitz. Jennifer, you've also started to write for Pathios. You're a fellow mm-hmm. blogger of mine over there on that faith-based website with lots of bloggers. So are you blogging mostly about being a catechist, or are you blogging about the rest of your life? What are you blogging about? It is a lot of questions about the Catholic faith and living the Catholic faith. I have blogged at Amazing Catechists, uh, amazingcatechists.com, on questions of catechesis, and I try to keep an article up there fairly regularly on strictly catechist topics. What has come out in the few months that I've been blogging with Patheos is there are all these issues in the news, and for example, I had never, ever wanted to tackle the question of same-sex unions. Just didn't want to go there. And 
it was just kind of put in my face. Well, what is the Catholic answer to that? Mm -hmm. How do we stand up for our religious freedom? So I ended up writing a little more politics than I had planned. I was given a review copy of Papal Economics. Um, My background is as a business major uh, in accounting, economics, international relations. And so interesting book, a difficult book, and so I've done a little bit of economics social justice type topics, and really just it's whatever comes across my desk that looks interesting, and it's sort of revolves around everything. Education every now and then, book recommendations, comments on movies that I found interesting and helpful. So a little bit like me and the other bloggers, you start with a mission and you end up writing, writing all over the world because a blog is a hungry beast. You have to feed it every day. Mm-hmm. In fact, readers are very interested in what is happening in a topical way. I mm-hmm. find that also in my blog, when I write about current events and what's happening in the news regarding the Catholic faith, they mm-hmm. want to find out what to think and find out what the church teaches and this has been a wonderful means of catechesis to a, a broader audience, and I'm sure you'll find, mm-hmm. you're finding that as well. When we go back to catechesis, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and part of the mission of More Christianity Radio Show is to give our listeners resources. And there you go. You have Jennifer Fitz's book, Classroom Management for Catechists, also her blog at the Pathios channel and the Catholic channel, the Pathios. Also, you contribute regularly to a website called Amazing Catechists. So there's lots of resources out there to help you if you're a catechist. And if you're Standing on the brink, uh, dipping your toe in the water, wondering whether you could be a catechist, and your DRE in your parish is saying, come on, I need some volunteers, and the Spirit is nudging you and saying, you can do it. Go ahead and get involved and help to share the faith with the next generation, help to share the faith with our young people who desperately need great catechesis. Jennifer Fitz is my guest. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity. I advise you also, if you would like to know more about my mission, to go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com. You can connect there to my blog. You can also be in touch and uh, talk about my coming for a speaking engagement. You can sign up for my free weekly newsletter. You can also listen there to archived programs of More Christianity. There are over 50 of them now in the archives, and you can listen to those as podcasts and listen to them on your smartphone in various other ways. Jennifer, one of the clashes in catechesis with our children is, on one hand, we've got one extreme of what I call puppy dogs and kittens catechesis, where Catholics are trying to give the impression that it's all really just about being nice, warm, cuddly people. And then there's the other side, which I sometimes call the Baltimore catechism catechist approach, which is you have to memorize all this stuff, kids, and then you'll be good Catholics, you know, line up straight lines uh, and uh, sir, yes, sir. It's kind of a military approach. And these are two extremes, and I know that people who fall into one extreme or the other might get mad at me for saying so, but I personally feel that catechesis needs to be somewhere in the middle of those. How do you manage to balance those two? On the one hand, we need the feelings and the and the heart, the sort of soft emotional side, but we also need the, the facts, you know, just the facts, man. We need to have that too. How do, you, how do you manage the two of those together? Well, this debate came up last summer when I first began teaching The textbook we were using, one of the foundational Bible verses, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, you know, and then the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And that has captivated me, because when we talk about love, we tend to think just our heart. Well, no, apparently you love with your soul, and you love with your mind, and Mm -hmm. you love with your strength. And when we talk about you know, this, this love we have of God, we tend to think heart and soul are the same thing. And our Lord is saying, no, these can be thought of as two separate things in, in some sense, in some way. And so that has sort of been percolating in my mind 
And when, when people try to prescribe a one-size-fits-all solution for all, I don't know how many millions of Catholics we have in America today or billion Catholics in the world, whatever that number is, I think, how can you possibly know the spiritual life of all these people? You can't know that. And so you're, you, when you're evaluating your own life and you're saying, okay, where is my mind in the love of God? You know, where is my, my understanding of theology? Where is my paying attention to what I'm doing? Or where is my strength? You know, how am I serving God with what he has given me, whatever it is he's given me, whether it's an intellectual gift or suffering. If he's given me suffering, am I using that to serve God, to offer it up for God? You know, we can look at each of these four things and evaluate where we are spiritually. And, and on a parish level, you can say, where is my parish? Maybe we have a very strong service, not so much theology. Maybe we have a lot of enthusiasm in our worship, but not that prayer with saying power that you get from Eucharistic adoration or Liturgy of the Hours or something like that. So I've got these different ways of loving God. Where am I strong? Where am I weak? What do I need to work on? And in a balanced catechesis, we'll try to get you all your, your food groups, so to speak, of loving God. And so what is that? Well, sometimes Baltimore Catechism is what you need. It's a great resource. Sometimes you've got that in the hole. I was uh, teaching apologetics for kids this fall, you know, new course, just kind of out of the top of my head. And the students I had knew all the answers on the first day. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, I think I need to rewrite this course. They don't need what I had planned to teach them. They need something different. And so, you know, I went home and, and rewrote the course. And that's got to be what it is, is you're bringing the fullness of the love of God and you're showing people how to love God and what do you need in answering that. My classes tend to get derailed. I had to just kind of have a talk with my director of religious education about our progress through the chapters because students come with questions and you have to answer the question when they have it because the question that's coming out of their mouth is where they are spiritually. You can't walk back past that question and say, well, you'll see that later. They need to know now. One of the things we're trying to do along those lines also in our parish is somehow or other to get ourselves past the idea that catechesis is just another school class, except it happens on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or whenever. And it's difficult because the kids come into a classroom with a, with a whiteboard in the front and with a teacher in the front, and they sit at desks, which are used for the school during the week, and it's very hard to get them out of that mentality. We've integrated, for instance, in our parish, the catechesis for the middle school with the middle school youth group, so that it mm-hmm. happens within a community setting, trying to, mm-hmm. to develop that together, so that it's not just school Because a kid's attitude to school, their attitude to history or math is, right, I do that for 45 minutes, and when it's done, I close the book, and I don't have to think about it again. (laughs) And so we're trying to integrate the community into a fellowship. I'm not sure we're succeeding altogether so far, but we're working on it, and I think that's another way to try to get our young people to the point where they realize it's an encounter with Christ. Jennifer Fitz is my guest today. She's a catechist from Columbia, South Carolina, a revert to the faith. She's an author. She's written Classroom Management for Catechists. She also writes for the website Amazing Catechists, and she's a blogger at patheos.com. Come and learn more about catechesis and sharing the faith. Jennifer, as you can tell, has got a lively and intelligent and a dynamic approach to her Catholic faith, realizing that it's only as we live out our faith in Jesus Christ day by day that it becomes real for us and for others. You've been listening to More Christianity. Jennifer Fitz, thanks for being my guest today. Pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. 